What's going on, everybody? Welcome into the Fortress of Comicitude podcast. My name is Tyler. I'm Mary. We are joined by a very, very special guest today, a writer for, you know, God, everything you like at Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, new Hawkeye book coming out, or if you know him from Punisher and X-Men, Matthew Rosenberg is here. Uh, thank you for joining the show, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. I don't know that I'm a, I warrant a, a very, very special guest, but I... You get I, two varies. <laughs> One wasn't enough. I, I wouldn't have given me any varies. I would have just, I would have been really happy with just special guests. But I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for having me. No, man, you are one of those guys that it seems like a lot of uh, good stuff that comes out has your name on it somewhere. So you you deserve two varies. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like to put my name on other people's good stuff. That's a weird habit of mine. It's not so. a bad strategy. <laughs> really. It's not bad, yeah. I no. just go into the comic shop. I see issues of Immortal Hulk. I write my name on it. And there you go. My name's on good stuff. There you go. That is a killer <laughs> book, a too, book. as well. Oh, yeah. That's a good book, yeah. Um, all right. So uh, we got a lot of stuff we want to talk to you about. Obviously, Hawkeye coming out and everything. A couple of X-Men stuff, too, just because uh, I love it. But uh, first thing we do when we have a guest on here, we do what we call Comic Book Secret Origin, which is basically just what is kind of your origin of comic books as a kid or as a teenager what what's kind of some of the first early stuff that you read and how did you kind of get into this uh lifetime commitment hobby that we all have yeah yeah sure um so i have an older brother he's four years older than me and when i was very little he was getting comics and uh he was getting comics that were definitely too old for him as a as a seven and eight year old but he was very attached to them and I remember he said to me, you know, don't don't ever touch my comics or I'll kill you. <laughs> and, and of course, that is like the greatest thing you can say to a little kid. And so as soon as he went out, I would sneak into his room and would go and, you know, just read his stuff. And he he, he was getting Marvel books. He was getting X-Men, a lot of the uh, Claremont X-Men and, and Fantastic Four. And so, like, yeah, I, would, I just, like, literally, you know, I always say to people casually, I'm like, yeah, I learned to read reading X-Men. And people are like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, no, I actually did, like, kind of learn to read, like, sounding out X-Men comics. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then uh, I sort of had a weird um, – I grew up in New York City, which is where I still live. Um, and I grew up with a comic book store on my block. So at a very, very young age, you know, I wasn't – allowed to I wasn't a big jock or a sports kid or anything um and I wasn't super into video games I like video games okay um but I was really into comics and my mom you know wouldn't know what to do with me and so even you know before I could go out and walk around and stuff on my own I was allowed to go out because I only had to cross like one street to get to the comic book store and she was like you look both ways you cross the street and then you're basically <laughs> In the comic book store, and so that was sort of my my one thing I was allowed to do. So yeah, I mean, I just I just grew up like living in that comic store basically, and and saving up all my money. And X Men was sort of the first love for me for sure. And then a ton of Marvel stuff. Uh, I was very into like Avengers and Fantastic Four and all that kind of stuff. So you were but a Marvel also, guy from the beginning, then. Oh yeah, yeah, I mean it's just literally what I read. I, I my brother read it, so I read it. Um, yeah, I was a diehard Marvel guy. The only DC book I read when I was a kid was Batman. Fair, um, right? <laughs> he, he's he's a pretty popular character. Yeah. Um, 
couple uh, people have heard but, of him before. Yeah, he, he's a. If you don't know who Batman is, check him out. That's a cool book. And that was that was sort of it. And then, you know, I, I sort of grew out from there. And I used to go and just buy Marvel books. And you know, I was like eleven and twelve, and save up my allowance and go buy Marvel books. And the guys who ran the comic shop were so frustrated by by my myopic obsession with Marvel that they used to just be like, you have to read something else. Like, we're not going to let you leave with just your Marvel books. Like, you're going to have to buy a book we pick. And they were, like, giving me, like, Love and Rockets and, and like, early Teenage Ninja Turtles stuff and stuff like that. Oh, right on. Um, yeah, to sort of broaden my horizons. And, uh, but, yeah, I just, I just sort of fell in love with comics at a very little age, very young age, little age, at a very young age, <laughs> and just never kind of grew out of it, so... So is that like um, the ultimate just kind of dream come true then growing up as the Marvel kid and getting to getting to play in this in this universe? Well, it's funny because I, you know, like I didn't have a lot of friends who read comics, like my friends weren't comic fans. And so it was very much when I was in school like uh just a private thing that I did. Like mm-hmm. I would head home and stop in the comic shop and buy some books and that would be it. And like it was such a personal thing for me. So I didn't know anyone who like I didn't talk to people about comics. I didn't have friends who were like drawing or trying to make comics, which I think is a really common thing in in for comic creators, like especially my generation is like, um, you know, I they always want to make comics and they were spent all this time trying to figure it out. And that wasn't the case for me because it just never dawned on me that like that was a that was a path and that was potential. So I, I just didn't I didn't really like when I was a kid I used to write like Marvel stories myself but then I grew up and I I still read the books but I didn't ever think about making books and I got a job in the music business and you know I I sort of did all these different you know I toured with bands a lot and I put out records and stuff like that and I just hit a point where I was getting really sick of it and uh, I wanted to find something else to do with my life and I was like well the only other thing I like as much as music is comics so I guess I'm gonna figure out how to make comics um so like it's not like writing for writing for Marvel like I've loved Marvel my whole life but it wasn't actually like a dream I've tried for my whole life. Um, I sort of came to the idea of writing comics kind of recently. Okay. Uh, so it's yeah. So it's a weird. You know, I, I tell people that and they're like, "Oh, you're not really a fan." And I was like, "I I have you know like I'll, I'll hold my collection of comics will hold their own against anyone, but." <laughs> not a, not anyone, but a lot of people. But like, yeah, I just wasn't trying to be a comics writer. I just didn't, it didn't dawn on me for, I don't know why. Both my parents are writers, so it should have made sense that like, <laughs> oh, people write these and that's a job. But I just never, I mean, maybe that's why that I just didn't want to be a writer because they were writers and I saw what that was like. And I was like, it's tough. I don't, <laughs> I don't know that I want to do that. Maybe, I don't know. I never really thought about it. But yeah, so it, it's not like, uh, it's awesome to be writing for Marvel because I've loved Marvel my whole life, but it's not, it was not my career path from being a little kid, if that makes sense. That makes sense, yeah. I mean, you've gotcha. been pumping out the content, though, the last couple of years, man. I mean, you got quite a bit of work under your belt already. Yeah, yeah. I've been very fortunate um, to uh, a lot of people, like a lot of stores and a lot of fans have been very supportive. And so uh, a lot of editors at Marvel have been willing to give me a shot and, and, you know, I can hit my deadlines and the books do okay. So I get to do it again. And I'm, I feel very lucky to do that. <laughs> so, yeah. um, we, we have a guy that's been on this podcast numerous times before. He's our good friend McCord, but I mean, he was kind of the first person I knew that was really 
championing your stuff. He like lived by your astonishing run and was always oh. telling me how good it was. And uh, when Phoenix Resurrection came out, that was the first time he was like, you have to read this. And so that I think was the first time I was like really super aware of who you were. Huh. And um, I I love that book, man. I just reread it uh, again, you know, kind of in preparation to be talking to you. But uh, I was just curious. I mean, a decision like that, right? To to bring back Gene has to go through like a lot of people. Was that kind of your idea, or did they give that to you? No, no. It was um, it was their idea. Like Marvel wanted her back, and you know, I I'd been doing other stuff. I I'd done. Um, you know, Rocket Raccoon and and Kingpin and Secret Warriors and a, a bunch of different books um, over there that were you know they were doing well and and I think they liked them internally. <clears throat> but I, I I made sure that anyone who would listen, I I told them like I love X Men, I love the X Men. Anytime an X Men <laughs> thing comes up, like I'd love to do it. And so they you know when it came across the desk, they were like, okay, you know, give it to the new kid and see what he does. And I. Yeah, they just, all I knew was uh, Gene has to come back. Like, we're bringing Gene back. And I was like, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I, I went in and, and it was the first time I'd like, you know, I, t- I, I had meetings with editors, but a lot of times you like go out to a coffee shop or something or go out to a diner so you're not sitting in a, you know, in an office, like having, it, it, you know, they like to keep me a little more casual about some of the creative stuff. Um, so I, uh, you know, I, 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 Phoenix Resurrection was the first time that I went in and, and like sat down with all the, like the heads of editorial and all the, all these people and like in the, in the conference room and like walked through it. And, uh, yeah, it was super intimidating and super crazy. And, um, you know, I remember pitching, pitching the book and when it finished, like they told me later because it was, there was just silence. Like it just like no one reacted when I finished. Oh no! <laughs> and uh, yeah, and it, it was like you know probably like a, a minute in reality, but in my head it was like Forever. a good two or three minutes of people just like staring at me and yeah. me just being like, "Oh, I fucked up. I I, I lost this job. Like it's over." Oh, I know. Um, like is that is that really the best you could do? <laughs> yeah, it was really yeah. terrifying. And then uh, Mark Panicia, who was the X Men at the time, uh, he's now the Star Wars editor, but. I remember he just said to me, he was like, so this is like a breakup story? And I was like, yes. And I just said yes. And then they were quiet again. And I was like, oh, they kind of want me to talk because they don't know what's happening. And I was like, well, here's the thing. And I I sort of laid it out. And I was like, look, we're not bringing back the Phoenix. Like, the Phoenix has been around. The Phoenix appears in books. Like, that's not been gone. What's been gone is Gene. And I was like, as far as I'm concerned, like, Jean is a great character. She's one of the best characters in the Marvel Universe. And for decades, she's been overpowered and overshadowed by the giant flaming space bird. And, like, uh, I, if we're bringing Jean back, like, let's get the Phoenix out of there and let's separate them and tell a Jean story. So uh, that was Jean sort back, of... Yeah. She had been gone for a long time. Uh, yeah, like like 13 or 14 years. That's crazy. Yeah. To be yeah. honest, I, I, I always found her to be... I don't want to say overrated, but she was never a character that really stuck out to me too much until what you had done with her. And then obviously Tom Taylor takes her and does X-Men red kind of puts her in a leadership role, which I, that I thought that run on X-Men was phenomenal that, that Tom Taylor did. So, uh, between the two of you guys, you guys kind of gave me an appreciation for that character that I didn't really have. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Tom did a great job. Um, I'm, I'm a huge X-Men red fan. Uh, that book was phenomenal. 
It really was. Yeah, yeah it's really great. It, and I, it's one of those things, like, I, I'm in a sort of special place with it. I talk to Tom about this a lot. I, me and Tom are pretty close, and I, I love that guy. And um, it, it, it was a, we were in a, it was sort of a, a unique perspective on it because, you know, I was sort of asked to, to like, what would happen next? And, like, where would this go at the end of Phoenix Resurrection? And, you know, I had an idea, and it, I was like, I don't want to do it, though. They were like, we want her on a team. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like, I, I don't want to put her on a team. I don't think. And in my mind, I was like, she's not, she wouldn't be in the headspace to do that. And she wouldn't be, she wouldn't just assume that role again. I just can't imagine her doing that from the end of Phoenix Resurrection. Like, it just doesn't sort of line up for me. Um, and... They were like, okay, and and then they, you know, like uh, I I I asked to I asked off and I asked to go do Multiple Man because it was a book I really wanted to do, and they brought in Tom to do Red, and I just loved what he did, and it's so exciting when there's something that like a small part of it is like from me in in some way, but then he takes it someplace that I could never imagine and, and didn't make sense to me and makes it so awesome and beautiful and like now it's in my head it's the only sort of logical progression for Gene. But yeah. I just couldn't I couldn't see it. I couldn't get there from mm -hmm. the end of Phoenix Resurrection to there. Um so it's it's always a uh, uh interesting when that when that happens and, and it's sort of a really special kind of unique moment where like I, I'm viewing it as both a, a creator and a fan at the same time, and it's really fun. But yes, I love that book. Uh, X-Men Red is like one of the great X-Men books of the last decade, for sure. I, I would most certainly agree. I, I think um, fans have been kind of critical uh, about the state of the X-Men, you know, probably for the last decade or so, of, of where they were. And I think, obviously, the X-Men are in a really good spot now, but I think... I think people like you and Tom Taylor and Kelly Thompson, like I think you guys deserve a lot of credit for kind of putting the X-Men, bringing them back up to prominence with what you did on Astonishing and then obviously the uncanny run that you did. So um, I, I just, you know, I just think you deserve a lot of credit for sort of lifting the X-Men back up to where they should be at Marvel, which is, you know, close to the top. Oh, thank you. Um, that's very kind of you to say. I will say that the one thing I will disagree with you on is that X-Men fans now you said X-Men fans have been sort of critical of the last 10 years. Uh, if you go back 10 years, X-Men fans were critical of the 10 years before that and the 10 <laughs> years before that, too. Um, it's, it's Now there's a lot of things that are viewed in a, like, oh, Grant Morrison's run was beloved. And it's like, well, by some people. <laughs> some I people love that run so uh, much. I, I love oh, it. That's, that's, like, that's my favorite. <laughs> yeah, I, I love Grant's run. And, like, you know, people are like, oh, well, Joss Whedon's run is classic. And it's like, well... <laughs> a lot of X-Men hated it when it happened and you know it, it's a it, it's, it's a the hindsight thing, right yeah yeah there's a lot of like appreciation and hindsight of what people do um X-Men is a very big picture book in a lot of ways uh and in the month to month it doesn't make as much sense as when you sit down and look back at it when you're like whoa there's a lot going on here it's it's a you know it's like one of those pointillist paintings like when you're up close and in it you can't always appreciate what it is, and then you step back, and it's uh, X Men is a, a much more complicated sort of thing to to assess and appreciate than it first appears. Sure. If I can talk about the X Men super pretentiously for a second, <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I'm, I'm sure you've been asked this question a bajillion times, but I mean, obviously with where the X-Men are now with what, you know, Hickman's doing with them and stuff, how, how far kind of down the line did you guys kind of know that was coming down the pipeline? And did you guys have to kind of coordinate with where he wanted them to be, where he took over and how did that all kind of work? I don't know what's happening with the X-Men now and what Hickman did. No, it's not true. It's, not true. <laughs> it's like, like oh, awkward. Yeah, <laughs> no, um, yeah. The uh, when I was writing, my time, I, like, I'm so bad with remembering exactly how things happen because it's also like everything happens so quickly and it's so complicated and uh, it becomes a blur. So my time might be a little off, but I believe I was writing Astonishing X-Men, and there had been a rumor that Jonathan was coming in to write. X-Men and sort of like we knew he was talking to Marvel about it. Um, we didn't know if it was going to happen or where it was going. And I believe like Aston- I took over Astonishing um, like Charles Soule did Astonishing and it did really well and it was supposed to be a 12 issue maxi series and then they're like this did really well. Like Charles do you want to do more? And he was like no I wanted to write 12 issues. <laughs> and uh, he's like I had a story to tell and I told it. And then they were like oh. And so they gave it to me and then it continued to do really well. And so they were like, yeah, you know, plan out, you know, a couple of years of this. And I was like, cool, yeah, that'd be awesome. And then almost immediately they were like, uh, you're done at six. And I was like, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh, did our numbers fall apart? Like what just happened there? And they were like, no, um, uh, things are in motion. You're taking on Candy X-Men. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, they were like, every book is ending. Blue's ending. Gold is ending all the books are feeding into Uncanny and you're going to take it, you know, they said you're going to take it with Kelly Thompson, Ned Brisson. Um, the three of you are going to sort of team up and take Uncanny, uh, which is awesome and super flattering. And then it became clear, I think right before we started, like we met with Jonathan and he sort of walked us through, it could have been right after we started, like we sort of knew what he was doing, but I think the meeting was before, but it could be off. Um, but we sat and we, we met with him and he walked through the, you know, a couple years of what he's doing. Um, and it's, you know, jaw dropping. It's one of the best pitches I've ever heard. Uh, I can't imagine just, having to have that pitch to you just because <laughs> even trying to read it, it's like so complex. I can't imagine having to have someone try to explain that book to you as a concept. Like, yeah, you know, it's funny because he, uh, I, his he's so smart and so brilliant as a writer but his brain also works in ways that like no one else's brain works so like he's remarkable because like i can see the world where you could make that book but couldn't explain it to people but he's also incredibly good at like pitching and articulating like these really insane concepts very eloquently so he walked through it and it like it, it was a very weird thing because we all totally got it and it just made sense. And it was like the kind of thing where like everyone had a lot of questions, but not because things didn't make sense. They just want to know more. But then when you leave, you can't explain it. Like when you start talking about it with the other writers, like me and Kelly and Ed like started talking about it and we couldn't <laughs> replicate what he told us basically. Cause we we're just like, well, it doesn't quite. And then we were like, we need to read more and catch up. But so, yeah, I mean, we knew, when Uncanny started, where it was going, where we were going, and what our endpoint was, and um, you know, so like a, a little more than a year out, I guess, maybe okay. like gotcha. 16, 18 months out. 
And you guys got to Weird. do some really cool stuff in that Uncanny Run. Specifically, I love the uh, the Logan and Scott kind of reunion issue. Oh, thank you. Um, yeah. was, was really, really good. Yeah, that's my that's my first issue after Kelly and Ed leave, which I think uh, they went off to go do, Kelly went to go do Captain Marvel, and Ed went to go do X-Force. Um, mm-hmm. But then when I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm reuniting Scott and Logan in my first issue, they were both kind of like, oh, mother... God damn it. <laughs> oh, and Kelly's Captain Marvel is one of my favorite books out right now as well. But oh, for sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> I I have nothing but love for them. They are two of my favorite people and closest friends in the world. Um, so that's good. Yeah, that yes, it's good. It's, they're they're <laughs> we uh, we talk like I talk to Kelly or Ed almost every day. It's a uh, I'm super close to them, and so you know all the stuff. Like even after like sometimes I talk about stuff on uncanny after they left and then i'm like but i was still talking to them every day about like well i'm gonna do this and what do you think of this so like there's a lot of things where like i forget what was all of us and what was just my like just my name on it but um it all kind of blends yeah, together yeah. over time right yeah I, what i think i'm discovering here is that i can't remember anything but <laughs> uh, um yeah so yeah there's a lot of stuff in that x-men run i'm very proud of and uh there's a lot of stuff that i think is really fun and exciting but it's also you know because of the nature of it i mean the normal way a book like x-men works or any sort of superhero book like this is you know you kind of get the toys and play with them and then at the end you have to put them back on the shelf because another writer's going to come on and you don't want him to have to clean up your mess sure put the toys back in the toy box yeah put the toys back in the toy box but i didn't have that problem because I mean, it's not a problem, but I didn't have to do that. Like, I was sort of told not to worry about that specifically to, like, yeah. break the toys because John, I mean, I don't want to talk about his story too much. Yeah. If people haven't read it, they should read it. But basically a lot of things that uh, I, I sort of was allowed to and encouraged to do a lot of things in my run on Canny because there was a solution built into them. And, like, not just that there's a solution built into solving them, through Jonathan's work, but also like Jonathan's work sort of, you know, uh, like my marching orders were kind of like, this is the end of an era of X-Men, like end the X-Men, you know, and Jonathan's going to bring them up to a new bright place. So, you know, make sure to, you know, feel free to like make it dark and bring them into the darkness so that like when they come up to the light, it's sort of even brighter. So, uh, you know, it's sort of a unique. What to do. Yeah, yeah, you have sort of more freedom, but also like a weird, you know, it, it's not often that your orders in like something like this are like come in and break it. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's true. So like, yeah, I mean, I, I came in and, you know, like that's why the book opens or issue 11 opens with the line of like, this is the last X-Men story because like that's how we were sort of told to approach it is like, this is the end of an era of X-Men and what Jonathan's going to do is obviously the X-Men and it's going to be called the X-Men but it's something different and unique and like let's drive that point home that like this what you've known the X-Men to be ends here and yeah. now they're going to be something else okay. so like that's you know that line is sort of a nod to the idea that like there's a coming change that goes to the very heart of the X-Men and this is the last time you're going to see the X-Men like this so so you have a new Hawkeye book that's coming out on New Year's Day I think right that is correct. Hawkeye Freefall. Hawkeye Freefall. Which is awesome, yeah. which is uh, you and Otto Schmidt, which uh, conveniently enough drew Green Arrow for a little while 
at DC. He did, yes. So. Um, Marvel, uh, Marvel doesn't have the same sense of humor as me sometimes. And in the announcement solicit for the book, I wrote my own solicit, and I wrote, uh, I think, I think what I said was. Marvel's third funniest writer and DC's best artist at drawing archers team up <laughs> to make Hawkeye. And they were like, you can't talk about DC like that. And I was like, really? And they were like, and you can't say you're the third funniest writer. And I was like, why not? And they're like, people will be offended. And I was like, who would be offended? The fourth funniest writer? In the <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, um, but then they took that out and I was bummed because it's a funny joke. Yeah. But, it's clever. Uh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, Otto Schmidt, Drew Green Arrow. It's funny because a lot of people, I tell people about the book, and I think DC fans, their faces light up when I'm like, Otto's doing it. Because oh, yeah. they know. He's so and, good, man. I, he's so good. His he's run on so Green Arrow good. with, with uh, Benjamin Percy was writing that book at that time. That, that yeah. was was really, really good. And that was right at the uh, the kickoff of DC Rebirth when kind of they were really trying yeah. to push everything. And that book was really strong when it started. So I, I, I'm For excited sure, to yeah. see what he does with Hawkeye. Yeah, he's it's it looks awesome. It's it's so great and he's so good and I you know, I, I know Ben and I, I reached out to Ben when we started and I was like I was like, What do I need to know? And he was like, He's really good at everything <laughs> and I was like, Okay and he was like, uh, let him do whatever he wants in a fight scene and I was like, Okay and he was like and everyone is sexy, so let them be sexy. And I was like, what? He's like, he just draws sexy people. Like, give them chance to be sexy. Don't make everyone, like, unsexy. And I was like, this is a really weird note. And then when he started drawing it, I was like, oh, I get it. Yeah, like, I have to, I have to make this sexy. Like, sexier, hot. Like, Hawkeye not in a shirt a lot and stuff like that. Because so, why not? Yeah. So um, is this a – and this is an ongoing series, right? This isn't a, a mini series. Uh, it is a, uh, we will see what it is when, when oh, we get okay. there. It's to, it's to be determined. Okay. It's to be determined. It's, yeah, it's ongoing mean, until further notice. Yeah. Uh, the, the story I pitched, I'm a big fan of, of, uh, sort of stories having an ending. I sort of can't wrap my head around like often. I mean, some books you can, but like just the forever kind of perpetual character, like that to me is sometimes harder. So I, I pitch things in kind of arcs and I'm like, this is a story, this is a story. And then there'd be stuff that carries over. But when I initially pitched Hawkeye, I was like, this is what the first six issues would be. And that is definitely coming out. So if, if it ends up that we do six issues, like that's what I pitched and like, we're not getting cut short. You're getting the story I wanted to tell, okay. but um, I'm hoping people pick it up and then people are excited because there is, you know, I've talked to Marvel about what I would do going forward with him and uh, where we take, Clint and uh, they're very excited about it. So I'm, I'm hoping that it that we get to do more. But if not, like, then it's a six issue thing. So everyone buy the book so that we can get more. Yes, yes. <laughs> and uh, you know, not just, I feel like a jerk because you know, not just buy a copy, but like buy ten, buy twenty. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's New Year's Day. It's, you know, it's so funny. You couldn't even come in like, yeah, buy two. You're like, buy ten. You know, like, yeah, buy one for your grandma. Buy one for your dog. <laughs> look, look. If you go into a restaurant, you you're gonna tip. You know, tip your Oaxaca. Give them a Hawkeye. That's yeah. so much more interesting than money. And go. I'm sure people in the food service industry really appreciate that. I'm <laughs> yeah. sure they definitely want comic books. Like, yeah, this that. comic book's gonna pay my this pay is my the light new bill. currency yeah. is comic books. Yeah, and <laughs> not just comic books, but Hawkeye Freefall number there one. You go. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so, 
is this kind of again whose idea is that is it you wanting to do a hawkeye book or is it kind of marvel being like hey there's a you know a disney plus show coming out does that ever have any effect on anything that's like we want to push this character because there's a tv show coming out no i mean you know it's never i think that does happen sometimes and i think it doesn't actually happen from marvel as much as it happens from like comic book stores okay that's something that all of us fans always want to believe like that that's something that people just talk about like oh yeah well there's a show coming out so obviously they're gonna put a book out you know (laughs) what i mean but i never know if that's actually true no, it's it's definitely not. Like, there's stuff that comes out where they're like, well, no one no one asked for it. They don't care. But it's it's you know, I worked in a comic store, so I know that like you know, the trailer for whatever comes out, and people walk right out of the comic book store and go, hey, I want to read this. And it's like, you know, there there are things when when the Iron Fist show came out, they were like, there's not a lot of Iron Fist stuff that's in print. Like, yeah. we need an Iron Fist book because people are asking for it. And there is, like, a spike in demand. It's not... So it's not, like... I, I know that fans have this view that there's a sort of predatory, like, we're going to piggyback on it. It's not that. It's just, like, there is interest in the character and people want it. And, like, let's give them what they want. And, like, retailers really appreciate it. I, I think you find out now when a lot of shows and movies hit, like, a lot of the older stuff gets put back in print if they're not going <clears> to <throat> rush out a ton of new stuff. Like... I only wrote. I've only ever written one issue of a of DC, for DC. I wrote an issue of Black Canary, and it's being put back into print. It's in a trade in January, and it's being called Birds of Prey, even though it wasn't a Birds of Prey issue. It was a Black Canary issue, yeah. but yeah. it's to set up the movie for the movie because yeah. they're just like we need more Birds of Prey content. The more we people know more. about it, know more about the characters. Yeah, they just want to give people. You know, it's a chance to try and get people who are not regular comic book store people to give them a wide variety of things. That, that way they can really relive all those wonderful happen. issues with Harley Quinn on the Birds of Prey. <laughs> oh, wait, yep, that, yep. That, ne- that never happened. Super. super <laughs> I actually don't know. I actually don't know if the, the Black Canary thing I'm do- I have the issue in has Harley Quinn. Issue. I don't know what's in it. I think it's just the entire Black Canary run that I did one issue of, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, so no, the Hawkeye thing actually has nothing to do with the show and predates the show as far as i know okay. um huh. i did tales of suspense mm-hmm. uh a couple years ago and that was a hawkeye and bucky book and black widow and um i people at marvel really dug it like uh it was sort of a, a popular book in in at the company and then the uh there was sort of a lot of fans. It was sort of a cult book. It was not, you know, it's not like selling a million copies, but like people really, really liked it. And, and Marvel notices that when there's people who are kind of passionate about a book, even if it's not selling well, they, and they try and figure out how to navigate that. And, uh, That's good you know, when it was re- I like hearing that. Yeah. 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 I mean, they definitely pay attention to like, you know, what, what, what people are excited about, not just what they're buying. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, there's a, there is a difference. Yeah. Um, and they and they try and service both. Obviously, what people are buying is easier to service than what they're excited about because a hundred people who are super excited about something, but they're the only people who buy it, it's very hard to give them what they want. Um, but I think Marvel does a really good job of trying to navigate both and and figure out ways to make both happen. And you know, Tales of Suspense was never going to be an ongoing book because it's Tales of Suspense, and that's not something they're going to make a lot of. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, but they were like, "Hey, do you want to do Hawkeye?" And I—he's one of my favorite characters, and so I—I I jumped at the chance, and I, you know, I, I turned around and I pitched this story. I pitched what Hawkeye Freefall is like pretty quick, and they were really excited about it. 
and really into it. But then Punisher got extended, and I I got put on Uncanny X Men. And this is a book that I'm like really really passionate about, and sort of wanted to make sure that I could give it the time and attention it needed. Um, and so Marvel was cool enough to sort of put it on hold nice. while I like worked my schedule, and you know we waited and. Clint got to go off and be on West Coast Avengers, and and that was awesome. And and then that wrapped, and it was perfect timing to be like, well, he's moving back to New York, and here he is. So here we are. I think when you when you talk about Hawkeye, especially in recent years, a lot of people point to the Fraction Run and how big of a deal that was, and how I think a lot of people got into Hawkeye and really got an appreciation for Hawkeye after what Fraction did. So uh, sure. is is your would. Would you say that your Hawkeye book is going to be like, oh, if you like this, you'll like mine, or is yours kind of different uh, flavor, um, I guess? I think every single person who liked the Fraction Run will like mine, and then people who didn't like it will also like it. Is that that's fair to say? <laughs> Basically, <laughs> it's the greatest comic of all time. So <laughs> No, you know, it's, it's, uh, the, the, the Fraction Run, which I love, uh, Fraction and Aha's Run is uh, about as good as comics get in my mind. Very um, good, yeah. It, it's, but it presents a really, really interesting problem that not a lot of other books present because it is such a departure from not just what Hawkeye was, but from everything else at Marvel, everything else in comics. It's such a weird, unique book. It really felt like an indie book. Like it had that yeah. kind of almost like image book feel to it, but it was being published by Marvel, so it was kind of a weird thing. It's like, whoa. Yeah, a hundred percent. And so then you have this problem of like. And, you know, this is something that, like, you know, when Jeff Lemire took over writing the book, like, he had to face. And when Kelly took over the book, she had to face. And now I'm dealing with, which is, like, you could go and do the impression of of Matt and David's run, but that's going to come off like a cheap knockoff of of the thing that people love. And no one wants that. Like, the creators don't want to make that. I'm sure Matt and David don't want us doing that. And, like, the fans fans don't don't want to buy it. Yeah. I like that take. and, And so then you were like, well, I have to do something different so you're thinking but like the problem is that everything in that Hawkeye book really works so you're kind of trying to reinvent the wheel while the car's already in motion like it's it's this problem of like looking at things that you like and being like I have to get rid of this even though I like it and I think it works because we're trying to do something and and not just not just to be like we don't want to sound like them but also to honor what the book is like they did such a great job of making something unique to not try and make something unique after them is a disservice to what they've done. Like, if everybody tried to just do the same thing again in a few years, you know, in 10, 15 years, that's what a Hawkeye book would be, and it wouldn't be a unique thing anymore. So, like, if you want to keep the pedigree of, of what they've done and, and honor the legacy, it's about constantly reinventing the book. And so that's what we're trying to do. And I think, like, you know, there's a lot of stuff that I love that I'm trying to keep, like, the sense of Clint and who he is and the sort of, uh, you know, the, the balance, the work, the work personal life balance was really important to me. And, um, you know, the mix of like really personal intense kind of drama and like totally bizarre humor and, uh, whimsy are, are really there and the, the personal relationships are there. But at the same time, like, uh, I wanted to sort of, I, I think when you read Matt and David's run, it reads very much like its own universe. Uh, and I don't mean that to detract from it. it. When other superhero characters sort of show up in it, it feels like they're wandering into a Hawkeye book, not that Hawkeye's in the Marvel Universe in some ways. Yeah, I agree. Their book is, yeah, their book is so unique. 
So a big thing for me was like, I want this to feel like a Marvel book. I want it to feel like the weirdest Marvel book. Like I want it to feel like the quirkiest Marvel book. But that's what Multiple so, Man was when you did that. <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest Marvel book at the time for sure. Um, but yeah, so I, you know we're trying to do sort of keep our feet planted firmly in the Marvel universe. So there's a lot of guest stars and a lot of like, you know, it's it's very much superheroing. Um, you know, there's downtime and personal life stuff, but there's superhero stuff. He's fighting, you know, the hood and there's a new Ronin in the book. Who's like a mystery of who it is. And they're kind of dangerous and scary. And Clint is trying to stop them. And, uh, you know, it's, it's fully a full on Hawkeye is a superhero book, but also doing the, like, what's he doing his time off? So there's a <laughs> little more of a balance for that. And, um, yeah, I, I think I hope that fans of of the the Matt and David's run dig our book, um, but I also am hoping that you know people who who didn't pick that up. I mean, one, if you didn't pick it up, you should go pick it up. But two, if you're just like a, an Avengers guy, I'm hoping that we made a book that you can dig too. Um, you know, more traditional superhero book. It's going to look a little different and read a little different than your Avengers or your Fantastic Four, but like. You know, it, it is a superhero book at the end of the day, and, and I, I hope people react to that. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to it, man. I'm going to check it out for sure. I mean, I I think, you, I th- like I was saying earlier, I think your name is becoming pretty synonymous with, with quality stuff. And plus, when you, you know, announced auto on the book as well, it was like, okay, well, that's a no-brainer. Um, I'm looking forward to it. I could sit here and probably keep you here all night and asking you questions, but I know you got to uh, take off here soon, so we'll kind of start wandering, winding down. But uh, Hawkeye Freefall comes out on New Year's Day, so you know, go celebrate New Year's. Go to your comic book shop, pick up your book. Uh, yeah, it's gonna be amazing. A, um, oh, go ahead. What a great way to celebrate New Year's Day! Exactly. Yeah. What a good and way to nice. cure the hangover and sit and read a <laughs> Hawkeye book. And, and be nice to everyone in the comic book shop because they're probably hungover too. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you can gather the strength to leave your home on New Year's Day. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you have any uh, upcoming con appearances or store signings or anything you want to let anybody know about? And then where can people find you on the various internets, as they say? Um, I don't have any con appearances right now. It's kind um, of the slow season, right? It's the slow season. So I'm figuring that stuff out. I have a bunch of signings for Hawkeye if you're in the Northeast. Um, I'm signing at JHU Comics in Staten Island and then signing at JHU in Manhattan and I'm signing at Third Eye in Maryland, and then I'm signing at the other Third Eye, which is also in Maryland, and then I'm signing at Captain Blue Hen, which is in Delaware, um, and probably some guy. more that I'm forgetting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, uh, I'm very excited about the book, and I want, you know, to try and put it in people's hands, and and if people care that I'm in their town or in their store, and that's going to help them check it out, like I want to go do it. So, yeah, and that's, you know. Other than that, I'm, I'm talking to people via podcasts, such as this one. Woohoo! Yeah, that was good. That was a really uh, in unison woohoo. Yeah. We rehearsed it. Yes, yeah, practice for hours. <laughs> and then, yeah, your uh, your social media is where can people kind of follow your your stuff because you, you oh, post yeah. some cool um, stuff on Twitter. So you're worth yeah, a follow. <laughs> I, I I I worry sometimes that I'm, I'm I post too much. So that's kind of annoying, but. Um, yeah, my Twitter is Ashcan Press at Ashcan Press A S H C A N P R E S S, and I also have that as an Instagram and a Facebook and a Tumblr, and I don't ever post on any of those ever. <laughs> I don't think I've been to Tumblr in over a year. 
Um, I forget Tumblr's still a thing sometimes. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not even sure it is still a thing. <laughs> um, Every time I hear that, I'm like, wait, what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, you know, I had all these things, and 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 my feeling is like uh, I like one of the things I like about comics, and one of the reasons I sort of love comics is how sort of accessible it is, and how there's not really a separation between you know creator and fan and publisher and retailer. It's all sort of we're all doing the same thing because we love it, and um, so I like it that people can just talk to me, and so I I made all these different places I made like Facebook and uh, Instagram so I was like yeah people can reach out to me and then I realized that like I don't have time to really deal with all those things yeah. <laughs> and I was like well I could ignore a quarter of the people who talk to me on Facebook and a quarter of the people who talk to me on Instagram uh, and a quarter of the people who talk to me on Twitter or I could just like focus all my attention on one and just like make sure so yeah if you care to talk to me or have anything to say like Twitter is probably the best place to do that and um, I post a lot of stupid things on Twitter because I get bored, and uh, <laughs> that's what Twitter's for. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, guys, yeah, again, Hawkeye Free Falls, New Year's Day. Go check it out. Go check out all of other all of Matthew's other stuff he's done because it's all good. I haven't read anything that's even remotely close to mediocre at all. So. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. I can send you some stuff if you want. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you probably still love him I want to thank you so much man for taking the time to talk to us this is awesome to get to to get to talk to you and uh, you're one of the ones that it's like was kind of on that like oh wouldn't it be cool if one day we got Matthew Rosenberg and it's like oh here we are we're doing it so that's that's super flattering thank you both this was this was awesome this was really fun Cool. Make sure you guys are all following us on social media everywhere as well. Fortress of Commentary Podcast. Google us. It works. We're on all the things. Um, next week, Monster Week, because we got two podcasts coming out. We got the finale of Doomsday Clock, finally. Who would have thought? Yay. And there's a Star Wars movie coming out that we got to talk about. I might win the pool. The yeah. pool. You pool. did. You won. Pool. Yeah. We, yeah. Had a, we had a pool going for when Doomsday Clock was going to finish. And you guessed the last week of December? I guessed Mary end guessed of the December, year. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so Really? Yeah. yeah. That's very impressive. We had some That's people right. that had money on next year that are pretty upset, so. Yeah. <laughs> have you, have you, enjo- have you, en- I mean, maybe this is a spoiler, have you enjoyed all of Doomsday Clocks? So oh, far? it's been fantastic. It's yeah, just, I really like yeah. it. I just every, really wish it would come out. I really wish that it had come out faster. It's really good every three months, you yeah. know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, uh, I will, I will, I don't have a, uh, uh, a dog in the fight because it's not my company or yeah. uh, sure they're not they're not friends of mine but I remember uh, now I don't remember who said it so I'm just going to quote someone and not attribute <laughs> it but they, someone was like you know in two years people will remember if the story is good not if it was on time exactly and, and it's true I mean some of the best books ever were delayed but nobody remembers that you know what I mean because now you just have your your nice trades and nobody talks about it years later so. I will always remember uh, I mean, I mean, Doomsday Clock's been fantastic. Gary Frank is is a god among men, yep. but um, for sure. So we we've been doing issue by issue reviews of that. So we finally get to finish the the whole thing. It only started in November of 2017. Yes, so. and we'll be watching Star Wars, which is the other one that we'll be doing. Yes, and we'll have a Star Wars review coming out too because it's only going to be the biggest thing. So yeah, <laughs> I'm I'm very excited for Star Wars. Oh, aren't we all? So <laughs> uh, make sure you guys are coming back next week. Check out all that stuff. Go follow Matthew Rosenberg on Twitter. Go buy Hawkeye. Go buy all his other books. He's an awesome guy. Thanks again for taking the time to talk to us. And uh, until next time, my name is Tyler. I'm Mary. And peace out, guys.